picking up that book and reading through it. It is, it is extremely convicting. Uh, it's kind of beating me up a lot. Uh, and as we were going through, getting ready for this coming week, uh, defining righteousness in the life of a Christian became very prevalent to me as I was preparing. First uh, John 3, 1 through 10, uh, the actual text within the, the book is First John 3, uh, 7 and 8. But putting it together, uh, 1 through 10, and then starting to watch and study and do the background of it really brings forth to me, in my mind, the desperation within the body of Christ to realize that it is not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that redeems us. Uh, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I, I seem to come up short, and my, my bride can, can, definitely, <laughs> can definitely speak to that. Please don't ask her, though. We, 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 don't, we don't want to do that. But God bless her. She's put up with 31 years of bad jokes, and, and uh, if anybody has earned righteousness, it would probably be her for tolerating me. <laughs> But I am very, very grateful uh, that she puts up with my unrighteousness. Uh, I looked at this from the aspect of a counselor in drug addiction a great deal. Uh, many of the addicts that, that come in, and, and I have the blessing and the opportunity of serving them, especially in individuals, they have a great deal to ask about what it means to be a Christian. And they, they look at the person who's sitting before them because they, they know that I was a pastor. They know that I, I have a, a faith in Christ because God has blessed me with that. Uh, they walk into my office and they can see the different things that, that are around that, that profess Christ. But all too often they see a side of me that's not righteous. Uh, they see a side of me that gets frustrated when somebody comes into a group and they're intoxicated um, and, and I'm angry with them and I, I excuse them from the group. Uh, I try to do so with, with being nice, but obviously you're not going to have somebody who comes in that's high or drunk to a group of fresh recovering addicts and leave them there to trigger all the others. So you try to find a means to, to excuse them from the group without being rude. But often that doesn't work. And they see a side that's not righteous. But coming to a more direct point, God looks inside my heart. And he knows what's righteous and what's not righteous. And he knows that it, it is only Christ that dwells within me that can can bring about any righteousness. And it makes me grateful that God, in, in all of his wisdom, would look and say, you're dirt, Mr. Parrish, but I'm not. And I will impute my righteousness to you. And those of us that sit within a congregation and, and we hear the word being preached and being taught, we hopefully, at some point, realize I have done nothing that is deserving of God's grace and mercy, but yet God is gracious and merciful to me, not because of what I have done, 
but because he's chosen to be. I had a great conversation with Miss Pam this morning and as we went through and, and afterwards to get a sit and, and to read through, I was reminded of God's great work and, and, and not mine. And it prepares a heart because all morning I've been asking God, please help me to stand before this group of people that are your children and to, to explain to them in some fashion that glorifies you and not self. And it's the most difficult thing that you can do. Because my natural, my, my innate nature is to glorify self. Is to give an expression of self that, that, that looks like more than what it is. And the truth and the reality of it is, is a man stands before you that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ every day. That, that is only clean and sober because of the work of Christ in his life. That, that is only married because of the work of Christ in our lives. You see a man that doesn't have righteousness. But is completely dependent upon God. And his righteousness. That realizes my salvation didn't come from something that I have done. Or any merit that I have that has earned it. But because God is gracious and merciful. And would call some to himself. I am grateful beyond belief to be a child of God. And I am also grateful that he would express himself to a person and through a person. That it is his righteousness and his mercy that brings us to this wonderful gift of salvation. And not our own. Our text is 1 John 3, 1 through 10. But before I go there, after my brief explanation there, I'd like to start out with Matthew 5.20 because this, this really, really expresses the fact of what righteousness is and is not. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's speaking to these people that, that hold this, this group of men up on this pedestal and, and they are the pinnacle of what they consider to be righteous. They even created laws to make themselves look more righteous. They, they, they created things and put it in to make it more difficult for somebody to attain righteousness. But it looked and reflected upon the Pharisees like they were righteous. For anybody who comes out of the, the mind sites, you will understand this. Uh, so often the mindset that I was working at would create laws and rules and regulations that surpass that of Imshah. Like Imshah wasn't enough. They would create things to make themselves more compliant. And the bad thing is, is Imshah would come along and look at it and say, you know, I think I'll hold you accountable to that instead of what I was holding you accountable to. And then they could be wrote up for, for failing on that, too. So they, they created an even worse disaster. And Lynn's back there. And I know he's saying, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Because <laughs> it's like, okay, look, if we're not dumb enough, we're just going to make it worse. We're going to make it harder for ourselves. Uh, and, and, and that's not necessary. We can't meet God's laws. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven image. Uh, to even look at a woman with lust is, is, is adultery in the heart. And I, I mean, when we look at the things that we are 
easily condemned for and we realize there is no righteousness that dwells within us outside of God. We've created enough and, and that the Pharisees would come along and, and they would look like they were something, like they were someone in the eyes of God. And yet God himself in the flesh looks at him and says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a very difficult, difficult thing for us to, to ascertain, for us to look at self and recognize I have nothing in which to engage God with that will justify me before him. That's terrifying. Is then we have to count on somebody else. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this veil of, of sin that I live in? Praise God for Jesus Christ. It makes Paul's words very understandable. The battle of the flesh that Paul talks about in Romans 7, it makes very, very understandable. 1 John 3, 1 through 10. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. That is to say, no one who abides in him practices sin. We don't stay in it. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his, his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious, Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, for the one who does not love his, nor is the one who does not love his brother. God, as we go through this, I pray, Lord, again, that you would please use a simple man to, to manifest your truth, and God, to, to share it in such a manner as to convict us of, of, of what we are to be as your children. God, I ask for your help. I ask for your blessing to do that which I cannot do. In Christ's name, amen. So I, I look at this. Our Bible study for Wednesdays has been having a great impact on how I view myself in the light of God's holiness and righteousness. On page 186 of our study book, Behold Your God, the right, or excuse me, the weight of majesty, we are asked a question right after we are to copy the text, 1 John 3, 7 through 8. It strikes me, and if considered long enough, should stop us in our tracks. It asks us simply, have you come to a place where you look for the beginnings, no matter how small, of a habitual righteousness in people before you call them Christians? 
And I ask myself that question. See, I don't have to look outside of self and go and question what you're doing. I need to look at myself. And God even gives me a text within Scripture that, that really, really drove that point home. Boy, for those of you who are from the South, boy, remove the plank out of your own eye before you look at the speck in your brother's. And man, it hurt. Because all too often, I just like Adam and his first, first words with God afterwards, the woman you gave me. See, it's always somebody else's fault. My, ratch, my, 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 ratchet, my righteousness fails me because I want to look at somebody else to justify my sin. Instead of just looking at the word of God and saying, I am to practice righteousness. I am to be a righteous man. 1 John 3, 7 and 8 says that he who practices righteousness is righteous. It's not because I have done it. I am only practicing righteousness because God has called me to it. It's not something that I mustered up myself. It's not something you can muster up yourself. You're only even aware of your need for it because God has called you to be his child. What brings fear to my heart is when I am convicted before I say something to not say it, and yet in an unrighteous act, I do it anyway. Because believe me, I'm the wittiest guy you'll ever find. I'm funny. Just ask me, I'll tell you. And, and all the wives said, amen. <laughs> but the, the point of it is, is I, I, I think I have something that is okay to say, even though the Holy Spirit has told me, Brian, do not say that. He has spoke quietly to me, do not do that, do not say that. You're destroying your testimony. You're not practicing righteousness. If you act in this manner, if you say that, you are not practicing righteousness. You're looking like the world. And the world has enough. You are to be a light. Don't hide it under a basket. You are to be salt. But what good are you if you lose your flavor? And yet you're giving it up by acting in an unrighteous manner. By anger, by frustration. Stop. So I started out with the fact that, that I have people who come in and they sit down across from me. And I understand the battles that they're in. I'm a recovering addict. Well, once in a while it's okay, right? Because they, 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 they make a profession of Christ. Once in a while. Now, I'm going to ask you a simple question for anybody out there who's ever fought addiction. This will make a big, big, this will make great sense to them. Have you ever smoked a little dope hoping not to get that high? Have you ever drank a little bit of whiskey for the addict hoping that you didn't catch a buzz? No, we drink for one reason. We use drugs for one reason. It's to alter our mind. And that doesn't glorify God. So when the addict sits in my chair across from me and, and asks me the question, well, I'm a fallen man. No, you're justifying yourself. Just like I do when I do or commit an act of unrighteousness. You're justifying yourself. Stop it. Stop it. Not just if you're the addict. 
Anything that you're doing, any word that proceeds from your mouth that dishonors God or disqualifies you as a child of God, stop it. It's not righteous. You're not going to justify it in any manner before God. There's no word that you're going to give to him that will justify doing so when his spirit has told you, stop it. Righteousness to me after going through this study is is not a weight that I can carry. It is imputed to me by Christ. He's the only one who has went through this world righteous. And it's a gift from him. He lived a perfect and righteous life to impute that to us. Not because of works that we've done. Because I'm the addict that sits across from me all too often. Just a little bit won't hurt. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been clean and sober for 26 years and 24 years clean. But in here, I still fight with it all the time. Every day. You can't look at a woman with lust. Stop it. You can't drink a little bit. If you've got a problem with alcohol, you can't drink. Because you're a stumbling block. Stop it. It's not righteous. You can't mistreat your bride or your husband. You can't disrespect them or not love them like Christ loved the church and justify that. It's not righteous. Stop it. You can't steal from your employer by, by writing down hours that you didn't work. Stop it. As a child of God, you are to walk and to practice righteousness. And unless your righteousness supersedes that of the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So how are you going to get into the kingdom of heaven? Because I can guarantee you my righteousness does not supersede theirs. It's by the work of God. The gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. The perfect life. The gospel message is that Christ died for you to redeem you from your unrighteous life. And he's given you a new life and a heart that seeks him and that loves him and that can be qualified before him, not by your works or your heart, but by his works on the cross, the death and the resurrection. The glory goes to God. The righteousness that's in your life is his. Do you honor him? Do you practice righteousness? Or is it just a little bit? Just a little, little high. Just one foul word. Just one flash of, of, of pornography on the screen. These are the things that we justify out in our lives, but yet they dishonor God. Stop it. See, I'm not speaking to just you. It's like there's a big mirror in front of me. I'm speaking to myself. Stop. Mickey asked me a question. Why does revival tarry? It's because we don't care about righteousness. And he and I are having this conversation. I said, we, he and I. I'm not, I'm not slapping you at this point. He and I. Am I justifying my unrighteous acts? Because that's my tendency. Well, at least I'm not as bad as such and so. At least I didn't do that. Hey, it was the woman you gave me. But she's more righteous than I. What acts are you committing that keep you from being close to God? 
I know that we are drawn in and our righteousness comes from him. I know that we are saved by his grace. But this tells us in 1 John when we read this, if we are practicing sin, we're not of him. That's where the heart starts to beat a little faster. That's where I see a change that needs to take place. The revival that tarries in my life is all too often because of the, the indecision to follow God, even though I have been convicted. The indecision to act in a righteous manner, even though the Holy Spirit has convicted me. How do you define walking in righteousness? I noted something in the opening statement regarding the fact that my first tendency was to seek to justify myself and my actions by looking at others. As I said, the woman you gave me, it's got to be her fault. I believe that God had a preset answer for me in regard to this in Matthew chapter 7. He states that I need to remove the plank from my own eye before removing the speck of dust from my brother's. Something else that strikes me is the tendency that I have to point out the things that I do which others might consider righteous. In other words, I, I want to look better. The Pharisee makes a lot of sense when I look at self. Does it for you. Honey, don't worry about the, it's a Jeff Foxworthy joke. Don't, don't worry about the, the ashtray and she's out there paving the driveway. And he says, don't worry about the ashtray and the, the den. I got that. My righteous act for the day. I, I, I have done this, this small thing. And, and I want that focus. But really the focus should be what's on the cross. And what's no longer on the cross. But is raised from the dead. It shouldn't be my righteous act. I need to point everything back to the glory of God. And I battle with that because I want people to see me. It's not about me. It's about him. Often the preacher who stands up behind a pulpit is concerned with how he'll sound and how he'll look. And when he steps down from the pulpit, he'll go to his bride and, and, and he'll say, oh, that was the worst sermon ever. But yet somebody else comes up and says, man, that really hit home. I needed to hear that. And all I could see was I stumbled and I stuttered over every word. I couldn't even read correctly. And yet God used it for somebody. It was about God. It was never about the man standing behind the pulpit. It's never been about the man standing behind the pulpit. It's about Christ and about his work and about his righteousness. Not any righteous act that the preacher's done or that you've done. We've got to get back to the business of glorifying God with our lives by practicing righteousness in how we treat our bride, in how we treat our employers. And how we treat ourselves. We don't drink because it's a stumbling block. Not because you can't drink. But if I cause somebody else to stumble by it, what, is it that important? Obviously you've got a problem. If you have to do something because it's your freedom to do it, regardless of what it costs somebody else and how it affects them, then you have a problem. Because it's more important than God. Your freedom in Christ is more important than the one who gave you the freedom. Stop it. Practice righteousness. Man, it's hard. This one is a hard, hard contact, 
or text for me personally. So something else that strikes me is my tendency that I have to point out the things that I do which others might consider righteous, which is done quite literally in hopes that they will not identify or mention the unrighteous acts that I may know or that they may know about me, that they have seen me do. This foolishness is generally confined to my bride. Lucky her. (laughs) Do you love the word of God? This is another one, and this is something that that, uh, I'm very, very grateful because I I have a bride that that does love the word of God, and and I see her reading that reminds me, you. Don't make a profession unless you're willing to back it up. You need to get in the word of God. So every morning before homework starts, now the word of God comes out. Not because of my righteousness, but because she was practicing her righteousness. See, what you do in front of other people has a huge impact on them. You practicing righteousness proclaims the gospel to them. You are indeed that light on a hill, not hid underneath the basket. You are brought into a room so that the whole room can receive light from you. That's Christ emanating out of you. Practice your righteous deeds before men that they may glorify God. Does that make a whole lot more sense now? Because it sure did to me. So her practicing that, her doing those things, not because she was trying to impress me, but because she just simply wants to be closer to God, it was conviction for me to pick up every morning before, no matter how much homework I have to do, before that, to get into the Word of God. A light by practicing righteousness. Now, how big is your impact on the people around you? Do you see what that means to be a light in a house that that emanates to everybody and and gives them what they need? That's called practicing righteousness, and it glorifies God. You do that because you love God, because he first loved you. See, all these things, they, they start to come together, and they start to make sense, even to a simple mind. And it honors God. So do you love the word of God? When I asked this question of myself, it occurred to me that loving something means to cherish it. It means to hold it close to myself and adhere to it in a manner that sets it above all else. It would mean that I gladly set aside the things of the world to embrace it. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Like I said, these things start making a whole lot more sense as I, as I read them, as I've gone through this study that we've been blessed with. It's like, wow, I, I have missed the boat so often because I was so busy. Uh, I will share with you something of personal conviction. Busy, busy, all the time, I tell my bride. And she's very, very gracious to me as I proclaim this busy busy all the time 
Last Monday, I had the opportunity to go in or stay home. And the last time that that opportunity came, I went into work. This time I stayed home. Because there's, there's some things that money can't buy. There's some things that, that no matter how hard you work, you'll never obtain. And that time that's lost with your family, when you're so busy, you can never get back. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of things that change in our lives. I used to define myself by my position at work, and I always climbed to the top. Had to be the supervisor. I had to be the best at everything I did. You know they've all forgotten my name. They don't remember me. Somebody else has come along. I sit in an office now which is still odd to me. And I'm, I'm not a boss at all. But I get the opportunity every day to share the gospel with people, to share the work of God in my life and my sobriety, to share the work of God in my life and my marriage. Every day. It's the best job I've ever had. Because it glorifies God instead of me. It's not about where I've climbed to, I have no desire to be on top of this. The further up the chain you go in counseling, the bigger headache you have. I just want to help people. I want them to know God and the power of God to relieve the worst of, of, of addictions so that they too can stand and say one day, just stop it. Quit what you are doing. I read this morning, uh, or excuse me, last night, as I was taking a final exam. And the reality of addiction is that simple. You have to stop it. That's it. That's, there's a bunch of different evidence-based tools to help you do that. But the reality of addiction is you have to stop it or it will kill you. You see, everything in this life that is sin is never done until it kills you. You can use addiction in this sense. Everything in this life, every sin in this life is never done. It takes your home. It takes your family. It takes your vehicles. It takes everything. And the very last thing that sin will take is your breath. Absolutely. There's only one thing in this world that gives you life. And that's Jesus Christ. That's the only thing in this world that will give you life is Jesus Christ. So I, I get the opportunity every day to share that with people. Not by anything I've done. Not, not, not by anything that I've earned. It's all been a gift from him. The schooling, everything. He's brought people around me and surrounded me with them over and over and over again. To provide every bit of it. All the glory goes to God. The financial, everything. It all goes to him. It's his righteousness. The work that he does through us is his. The opportunity to give back to people. Like so many of you do. I've been some of that time. I've been that people that you've given back to. 
That's all his glory. It's all a gift from him. It's his righteousness. But you and I have to practice it. In closing, I need to lead us back to seeking a definition of righteousness in the life of a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not justified by our own righteousness, but Christ has imputed his righteousness to us. Romans 3, 21 through 28 speaks to this. We are not saved by our works of righteousness. However, this does not allow us to walk in a manner of foolishness or to eat, drink, and be merry, for the child of God does not practice unrighteous acts. Stop it. If you are committing acts of unrighteousness, if you are living in your addiction, come and get help. There's people who love you. They want to help you. They're reaching out to you. I can guarantee you, everybody sitting here, if you are currently living in sin, you have had somebody who is sitting next to you or in this congregation reach out to you. If you haven't, you need to come and see me or Pastor Mickey or any of the elders or deacons here because they want to reach out to you. They want you to be healthy. They want you to know the love of God through the family that sits in the body here. They can't solve all your financial problems. There's no solving all that. But they want to reach out and love you through the horrors that sometimes this life casts at you. They want to help you. Do not sit in misery. Not when there's people there who want to help. For the God, our child of God does not practice unrighteous acts. 1 John 3, 7-10 that we just read. Yet the one who loves the Lord will obey his commands. John 14, 21. That is something that just absolutely I cannot get my mind around it to encompass it, to express it to everybody or regurgitate it in any manner that's going to make it all make sense. But the fact of it is, is whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. John 14, 21. So I practice my righteousness. I practice righteousness by loving God and his word. So do you love the word of God? Are you in the word of God? Is it prevalent in your life? Do you love God? Because God is his word. John, 1 John. Not not 1 John. John chapter 1, excuse me. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And again in Psalms 1, 1 through 6, we see that the child of God loves and meditates on the law of the Lord. I, or we, do not love the law in order to accumulate righteousness and earn our way into the kingdom of God. For no flesh shall be justified by the law. Romans 3, 19 through 20. Do you see where all this goes? All these verses, that's what I said. I cannot possibly encompass all of it in my mind and regurgitate it. But I can tell you that scripture speaks to the fact that God has saved you by his grace through his mercy and has imputed his righteousness from his perfect life that was given on the cross and was raised from the dead for your redemption. That makes it fairly simple. But when I come back to this and I see what I am to be as a Christian, all too often I find myself acting more like the world than like a man of God and not practicing the righteousness that it tells me to in 1 John 3, 7 and 8, 9. I catch myself all too often setting aside the things of God and being witty. 
having some, some remark that is unbecoming. Or having to fight thoughts that are unbecoming. There's many of you who today will set aside this entire sermon. Say, he doesn't know my thoughts. You're right, I don't, but God does. You don't believe me, pick up the word of God. He'll tell you, he does. It doesn't matter what I know. You see, I don't give you righteousness. He does. I don't save you. He does. And he knows. He knows what you think. He knows the things that you've done. There's no darkness that you can hide from him from. He's everywhere at all times and always has been. Now you want to know the definition of love? Is he went to the cross for you anyway. After everything I just said, he knows everything about you. He knows that if you've mistreated your children, he knows that if you've stole, he knows if you've lied, he knows every time you've taken a drink and everything that you've done and sinned because of that drink. He knows all of it, every bit of it, and he went to the cross anyway. And like I said, there's a lot of people who set it aside and say, yeah, that preacher don't know. You're right, he doesn't. But I know about my life. I do know about my life. And I know that this study has impacted my life a great deal. And I know that there's probably a good possibility why revival that we've been praying for for so many years out of the body of Christ here tarries. It's because of people like me who'd rather be witty than practice righteous, righteousness. Who hide my light underneath a basket rather than setting it on the nightstand for everybody to see in the room. So stop it. Stop the things that are of the world. Pick this up. Go to a study. Spend time in, in, in the word of God with your family. Pay attention to what your bride is doing or what your husband is doing. They're not practicing their righteousness to win you over. They're practicing their righteousness because Christ has won them over. He has purchased them. And he's making them a new creation. And if you're here and you're a child of God, he's making you a new creation. But the problem is, is there's a lot of people who sit within a church who think that they're a child of God, but they don't practice righteousness. They could care less about the things of God. So I'm here and I'm preaching to you right now. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ knows your heart. And that there's no amount of good works that you have done that will ever purchase your way into the kingdom of God. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. So is God speaking to you today? Is he, is he telling you that there's something you need to change? Then the altar's open. Get on your knees before him and repent. Let revival start in your heart and in my heart. Let's worry about individual revival rather than church revival to start off with. The church will come afterwards. But it takes us repenting. It takes us starting to work on our righteousness. Jesus died for your acts of unrighteousness. And then he was given that life back. He picked it back up for you that you can have hope. That you can have hope of eternal life in his kingdom by his work. 
So I'm asking you, is God talking to you today? What do you need to give up? What do you need to change? Have you accepted the, the, the gift of salvation? Is Christ calling you to that today? So I'm asking you, what do you need to repent of? What do you need to change? What righteous acts are you lacking that you're supposed to be practicing? Sometimes I wish Mickey wouldn't pick such tough, tough uh, curriculum for us to go through. But on this one, ladies and gentlemen, I have to say I'm very grateful because I needed to change. I still need to change a whole bunch. The altar is open. If you have something that you need to talk to God about and change in your life, please do so today.